I remember uh, we had a long alley behind our home. I went out late one night, she was asleep and the babies were asleep and I took a long walk and I stopped about halfway to the end of the alley and I just, uh, I just looked up and I just said, Listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast, providing help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through pain. Here's our host, Colleen Swindoll Thompson. Dad, we're talking about a pretty tough subject today, but we want to share from our experiences in our home what depression has been like and what mm. we have learned by walking through it. Interesting, isn't it, that most folks would never connect a pastor with that word, or a pastor's family with depression. They think you live on an island of, uh, you know, celestial beauty and ease and harmony, and you never know what it is to be discouraged. And well, and I think that's very important to highlight because in a study I read several years ago they did on depression that most people in the church believe prayer and Bible study will pull someone out of depression. Or the other myth that I will say that they believe is that there's some hidden sin and if they would just confess that sin, they wouldn't be depressed. Oh yeah, that's helpful, right? Yeah, <laughs> no. So what our desire is, is to share real life. What was depression in our home like, in my home, because it's often multi-generational. Mm. Um, and then give some people some, some things to know, some things to do, to help. So why don't take us back mm. to a time you and mom had two small kids mm. and... Um, she was really struggling. Right. Were you in seminary at the time? Uh, no, we were out of seminary, but we had lost, we had lost a baby in seminary, mm. which began a connection of her with uh, the staff psychologist at the hospital. They feel like you need to be interviewed and whatever, so that you can work your way out of it in. Anyway, for whatever reason, I'm taking you back to the mid-60s. Oh, then it was just... Keep that in mind. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Back then, Christians simply did not get depressed. They, they just, you were nervous. That's the word they used. Oh, she's nervous. Or he's the nervous type. Which makes you more depressed. <laughs> yeah, labels never help. But anyway... Cynthia's from a dysfunctional family. Mm -hmm. Let's just start there. Mm -hmm. Very angry father. She hardly knew a day when he wasn't angry. 
Problem is, he was a Baptist deacon, and so he kept up that front publicly, but behind the scenes, he was regularly beating her sister and on one occasion tried to kill her mother by strangling her, which her mother told her about the next day when she could hardly talk, and she confided in her older daughter, saying, uh, last night your dad tried to kill me. I call that dysfunctional. Well, anyway, when you come out of that, it affects you. You can hear the beatings in the back of your mind. She still hears them on occasion. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, she's worked through it. And Anyway, that was then, this is now. But back then, I didn't realize how severe that was. I mean, my home wasn't ideal, but we, I didn't know anything like that. But anyway, when you have babies, it has a way of, of uh, really draining you emotionally, and, and you know that. Uh, you go through times when you, well, it's called postpartum right. depression. It's postpartum depression. Yeah, so she had a little of that. And then when our Carissa was born, she really slumped into this seriously. And I thought, well, she'll, the old words are, she'll snap out of it. So on top of this, you were living in a time where this was not a topic of conversation. Oh, no. You didn't breathe a word of it. So she's dealing I with would have never told someone at seminary where I trained that my wife struggled at times with depression. I would not have told the church where we were serving. And I was, it was a good church solid evangelical church, I won't name it, no need to, but it would have been any evangelical church in the 60s, where um, I, I realized she wasn't even able to come with me to church. Mm. You get so low, mm. you don't know how to get out of the darkness mm -hmm. in this deep well that has no bottom. Did you say anything like, just pop out of it, or did you say a lot of the common things that are said? You know, uh, I had enough sense not to do that because uh, I, I love her. And when you love someone, you think about what you say. She didn't want to be like that, you know, and I, I couldn't figure out, what am I going to do? And I don't mean to call the attention to me, but I'm the one that's up front. I'm the one that's doing the public work and she's really free to stay home and no one was keeping score you know she hasn't been here for three Sundays or well, whatever. Well that's unusual. Though I think some may have mm -hmm. and uh, they were usually mentioned uh, you know I miss Cynthia and well we've got a baby and, and that was a good excuse but the real excuse was she's at the bottom. So you were in essence alone. Yeah, I, I felt alone. Uh, I had friends, but there are just some things you, you don't share uh, unless you are really close. Because it sounds like you're putting down your mate. Mm. That's the last thing I'd ever want to do. And so little by little, uh, I should add, as she was seeing a professional, they were adding to her medicines. Mm -hmm. which uh, d solved nothing. It just made her, you know, sort of drowsy, and, and that depresses you when you're, you don't want to be. 
You've got a baby you need to care for. You've got a son that's active. Mm. And, and uh, Carissa was still in the crib. And uh, Kurt was up walking uh, over two years of age. And so here I was spending a lot of money on, on, the, on the prescriptions that were increasing. Which, let me say, even in the documents that we have at Insight, there's encouragement that if you need to use medication... I know that. Of course. Yeah, of course. But I at know, the time... And I knew that. At the time, but, that was the heavy, heavy well, sedatives. Yeah. And if I were to name these prescriptions today, and there would be probably a few psychologists or psychiatrists listening, they would, they would go, oh, because they were strong. I mean, I mean, they were... They were really strong. And you couldn't take them and be in public. You, 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 your feet slurred, you know. I mean, it really affects you. So I don't have a wife anymore, and I don't want her to be my patient. First, I don't know how to treat this. I've also got baby to take care of and, and a son to watch out for and take care of day school where we had him, and a ministry on top of all that. And the man I was serving, I was an assistant pastor there. He, he uh, was not the type to really enter into this kind of world, though he wasn't by any means critical of me. He just had no capacity to grasp the depth of my heartache. So let me just add, you're all alone. You're a caregiver. Your wife, who is full of joy when you marry, has now within six years dropped to the bottom mm. and you are unable to have any kind of support. What do you do? Well, that's a big, that's a big question. That was my question. Um, I wondered, should I step away from the church and do other work? I, I didn't want to do other work, you know. So I remember saying to the man I answered to, um, there would be some days I may have to come in a little later. Cynthia's going through some discouraging times, the best I could put it, to him, and he was very understanding. He said, Chuck, uh, I'm teaching at the seminary in and you, you're, the, you're on your own, really, at the church. You name your own hours, and I trust you to do what's best. So that helped. But the pressure came from his wife on occasion, who, uh, that's another story, uh, and other people in the church who, expectations, you know, you're, you're the young guy out of school, and they, they want you to fulfill you know, what their dreams are for you and for them and for their families. And so it's sort of a double life. You live one life when you're home and another life when you're in public. Which is the last thing that you ever do. You, uh, yeah. you live the same at home. Yeah. And I will tell you the truth on that one. We can yeah. talk about the dog bowl later. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway. But you were always, there was the congruency. So right. you're feeling an inner tension. Yeah. And don't forget my comment about the medicine, because that figures very highly in this story. 
I had no idea how highly. I thought it would be helpful mm -hmm. because if a medical doctor was suggesting we we get those prescriptions. Mm -hmm. And boy, were they expensive. Well, my little $6,000 a year salary, well, you go through that really quick. Anyway, um, we had house payments and we had utility bills and we had baby bills and we had we certainly didn't eat out and we didn't we didn't do much out. And my world became increasingly more narrow and and she became suicidal. And I had never imagined such a thing. And I, I knew she loved me and I knew she loved the children, but she wasn't capable of uh, being whole and uh, healthy. I remember uh, We had a long alley behind our home. I went out late one night, she was asleep and the babies were asleep and I took a long walk and I stopped about halfway to the end of the alley and I just, uh, I just looked up and I just said, um, Help me. I don't know what to do. Please help me. I'm running out of, not just running out of money. I mean, we were pretty much out by then. But I'm running out of hope. And things were not getting better. And she was taking more medication. And couldn't be a mother and couldn't be a, much of a wife. On occasion, my parents, who lived in Houston at the time, sensed that there were, you know, gaps of silence, and, and they said, uh, is everything okay? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. Because my folks would be the type that would never understand, mm. ever. So when they came uh, to help, and they just, demanded that they come to help out. And as soon as they arrived, then the, uh, you know, the sort of lectures started and, you know, I didn't need that. But she could rock a baby and she could, uh, you know, fix a meal. And uh, I've been trying to do all of that. So anyway, long story short, that didn't work. So we didn't want to do that anymore. And Cynthia felt, of course, condemned by anyone who treated people who are struggling with depression like that. So let me, let me, uh, let me fast forward to uh, opportunity I had to move ahead in ministry. By that I mean to move on to another place. By then I was dealing with the wife of that pastor thinking I wanted her husband's job. She really did believe that, bless her heart. And, uh, and we had words that, that were difficult. And, 
And she has no idea what's going on at home. Nobody knows what goes on behind closed doors. Yeah. And you just want to. She didn't know fully. Uh, I tried to tell her. I thought she would get it. But anyway, I I realized if I stay, there's going to be trouble. You know, and I couldn't convince her because I'm not the type to take over Mm -hmm. somebody. Or I lived there for one reason that was to make him successful, and I really mean that. And I can say that. Clear conscience. He would say that if he were alive, I, I just loved him dearly mm. and respected him. But I realized if I stay, it's not going to get better. And maybe a change of scenes, you think about everything. So of all things, we wind up going to New England. <laughs> Which a move is on the stress chart. Nothing wrong with New England. Nothing wrong with it. But when you go with our baggage... And when you and when you go to a place where already there, not a lot is forthcoming, at least remember it's the '60s. It's the '60s. It's not 2020. It's the '60s. In fact, when we drove into Boston, I could see smoke ahead, and I thought, "Boy, they're celebrating our coming." They were actually burning Harvard. The the, the hippies <laughs> had taken over the administration, and they were burning the administrative buildings, and we had debt to deal with. Well, well, and you're moving to the Northeast, and there's one type of depression. There's, there's actually 12 to 15, but one of them is titled Seasonal Affective Disorder, yeah. SAD. Yeah. So you're moving to a place where it's going to get dark at 3, and it'll stay dark for a long time, but you don't know that. You don't know. Well, you you know it up here, but when, you, when your son walks home from is first grade or really kindergarten in the dark, then you know it. Then you know three o'clock darkness means dark. So you've got the darkness to deal with and really a lot of expectations because there I'm the preaching pastor. I'm the everything pastor. I was the only one on the staff. Now, in addition to that, before you moved, her mother passed, right? Yeah. So you walked through... And, yeah, because she was hospitalized, they wouldn't release her to go to her mother's funeral. And I had to tell her that the greatest person of her life was gone. And she couldn't go to her Oh, my goodness. To this day, she grieves that. And I grieve it for her. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Anyway, uh, she goes to another doctor in New England. And uh, he's big on the medication. And... And he's also big on other stuff. And they want to alter your moral life so that you open up and and have a at a broader world and you 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 know uh, drink a little and you and you um, don't try to control your beliefs so tightly. And and she's bringing some of this. She didn't believe that stuff, but she brought it home to tell me about it. And I thought, what kind of a Joker is that that's that's dealing with my wife with those those words of counsel. That's not professional. What's he thinking? Of course he was lost as a goose and mm-hmm. and but we didn't know who to go to. I mean, you don't know. Nobody tells you. And I couldn't walk into our board and go, I have a wife that's very depressed and I need help because She's very at times suicidal, and you can't, you don't say that as a pastor. So you sit on it, you live with it, and wonder if today is the worst day until you face tomorrow. 
A couple years later, we moved to another place, and when we were at that place, we met a wonderful man who said to us, uh, you know, I've read a wonderful book. I think you guys would love it. It's called Reality Therapy. Well, everything we'd read for the longest time had the word therapy in yeah, it. Yeah, so you thought, thought, oh, oh, here we go brother, again. Here we go again, <laughs> yeah. another therapy. That's good, and, 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 and he goes, no, 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 no. No, not this book. This has a very interesting twist. In fact, I remember he's saying, his name is Floyd Sharp. He's gone now. Yes, I remember. Floyd's a great guy. Yeah, you were born by then. We, we brought you back from New England. And so we had a baby there and we, we had babies everywhere, you know. <laughs> and so here's, here's, uh, here's Floyd with his book. And he says, uh, we, we are not uh, irresponsible because we're sick. We're sick because we're irresponsible. Say that again. But you try to be responsible. Yeah, yeah. That's but the thing. When you think about it, if you do what you ought to do, and if you do it for the right reason, it's amazing what it does to you emotionally. Mm -hmm. Of course, you've got to have some strength to do what's right. Right. Which means the drugs aren't going to help. we got to do something about that. I remember the day she said to me, they're going down the toilet. And she dumped them. Which is kind of dangerous. Yeah, it was. But, you know, I thought, man, if that helps, great. Not only, try will, not only will it save but Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. There's nothing that she would have suggested. I wouldn't have said, okay, let's try it. Right. But, uh, there are boundaries, but she wouldn't have gone beyond that. Anyway. There was so little literature for you to, to read nothing. on. There, there were no brain scans. Nothing. In fact, one guy that wrote the book it was had once when her physician took his life. That's how helpful his work was. And, and, and uh, So she's a guinea pig. Anyway, her. anyway, he was a great giver of more and more medicine, more and more medicine. And we came to find out she was having reactions to the medications. And when they stopped and she started taking responsibility, I'm not, I, I realize I'm, I'm coming to it quickly, but it is amazing. And I don't know why I'm yelling, except I was so <laughs> thrilled and she was thrilled. Well, you were so low. Oh, That's and why. I thought, Lord, all these months and now years, if we had only known. And she began to trace back and had gone to a Bible study taught by a very fine lady who helped the ladies in the, in the study know that one of the secrets of life is forgiveness. I pause there because that's normally, yeah, that's right, good. No, but don't, don't do that. If, if you're listening, don't, don't respond like that. You pause also because some of you need to forgive Maybe that explains why you're where you are. Forgive that sermon there, but I feel so deeply about it. Cynthia realized that if we're going to start, basically, her folks are now gone, so she can't go there. She attempted to with her dad on the phone, and that went only so far. But she said to me, you know, major source of, of my anger has been your mother, my mother, who was just always picking at her for not 
dressing you children warm enough on cold days or cool enough on hot days or well enough on Sundays or the shoes aren't right or the socks don't match. Whatever it is she could criticize, she would criticize. And that's not an exaggeration. And Cynthia just felt, who needs that? Until she realized, I've carried not necessarily a hatred, but a resentment for her long enough. I've got to make things right. Now, I want to say this carefully because it's so vital in the answer to our lives. She said to me one day, you know, your mother's going to come over and I'd like to just have a talk with her. Could you take care of the kids? By then, we had another baby. So I'm taking all four kids. Did, no, I, one, did no one teach y'all about yeah, babies? Uh, yeah. We finally <laughs> learned, you know. Anyway, I, I got the four kids, and we did some fun stuff in the backyard. And my mother had come with a painting she had done, wanted us to have. She often painted china as well as canvas at times and did oil paintings. And she walked in, and Cynthia realized this is the moment. This is the moment. So and she's great. grown healthier on the inside. Oh, yeah. You just oh, said by, by now. You'd oh, work man, she's fully stuff. functioning. You had worked through some of the Oh, tests. my goodness. Oh. You'd worked through. And you found wow. out she was allergic to the medicine. Yeah, yeah. Which, she can't take that. She yeah. can't take most medications. We'll touch on that in a minute. Yeah, that's good. Huge. Okay, right quick, I'll get to this. My mother sat down, and Cynthia said to her, Mrs. Swindoll, uh, I, I need to say some things that I feel deeply about. And my mother, in an unguarded moment, was completely open. Well, she said, what is it, honey? What, what is it? She said, uh, I've never respected you as I should have. You, you're the one who bore my husband. She said this so tenderly. And she said, I have you to thank for that. And I've had no reason or no right to hold these things against you. And I want you to know that I feel badly that I've done that and I'd like you to forgive me. Would you please forgive me? I've been wrong and I'd love to have a relationship with you. And my mother just tenderly responded, absolutely. Oh, yes. And I think they hugged, and it was a great connection. Three days later, my phone rang, and it was my dad to tell me that my mother had just died. Now, I jumped to that because it was sort of that sudden. We're still in the throes of how great this is going to be. We've got a relationship, and it's been built back by taking responsibility. That didn't mean my mother had done everything right. She, didn't, she wasn't there to blame anyone. She was there to say, this is what I've not done right. right. And that's what I want to make right. And she took care of that. She did it right. She said it well. My mother forgave couldn't wait to tell her friends that her daughter-in-law had finally, you know, done that. And, but that's another story. It's probably shouldn't have even mentioned, but my mother had died. Laid down, take a nap, never woke up. 
So I'm on the phone saying, when my dad said, I think your mother's gone. Gone where? Yeah, that's when I asked, where'd she go? He said, no, no, I think she's dead. I go, dad, wh where are you? Well, they were, they were at that time managers of an apartment house, uh, complex in Dallas. We were living in Irving. Well, I said, I'll come right now. My sister had already left to go. He had called my sister and she was there. I got there and my mother was on the sofa where she lay down to take the nap and she was already cool to the touch. She's dead. But when I looked at Cynthia, after putting the phone down, I said, mother's gone. She's dead. Cynthia said, I am so grateful. I made things right. And she heard me and she forgave. When you seek forgiveness and it's responded to well, something happens. You know, first of all, Jesus teaches us to do that 70 times seven. Peter says, how many times do I forgive? Seven times? And Jesus says, yeah, I go the full distance, infinite number of times. How many times does God forgive you? I can't count that high. Of course you can. <laughs> the only perfect father who ever lived, God, has more wayward children than anybody who has ever existed. And he loves every one of us. Mm. And every once in a while, we make it right with him. But I won't preach. Back to my, my dear wife. She's free. Truth, truth does that. It sets you free. She said to me, I'm so glad I made that right. So when I preached her funeral, Cynthia was right there. And we finished with the hallelujah chorus. And I had held together all the way through, but the chorus, I broke down. I sat down by my longtime friend, Dr. Pentecost, whom my mother adored. And he put his hand on my knee and he said, masterful job. Never forget his saying that. I said, well, it's the grace of God I could get through that. He said, I know that. Said very well. Of course, I hadn't told her story at that funeral, but we've told it since. Mm -hmm. We raised you kids with that story. So, yes, we've known depression. Yes, we've done some wrong things, trying to find solution. We, we would have just done about anything, not anything, but we would have just about done anything to get relief because it's so dreadful. It's so dark. And what I want to say is, you know, going back to what you knew at the time was everything you tried and everything the doctors told you. And we didn't have the internet. We didn't have, you know, the brain studies and scans that we have now. Yeah, we had nothing. So you knew. We didn't even have literature for Christians. Right. And then your feelings, you can't let anyone in. No. So you're stuffing that. Plus, we've learned since then. In fact, you're, you're, you're right. People will say to us, Cynthia went through that? They didn't even know it. Right. That's how much you cover it. But you did so much work 
It's not like she just woke up and made her responsibility list and check, 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 and then you're better. You guys had to deal with her past trauma, which is one of the huge contributors right now. In fact, they're diagnosing kids age seven with massive depression. Well, I knew this, we had to go through it together. See, there are people I needed to seek forgiveness from. I was no, you know, little Lord Fauntleroy. I was, I was uh, <laughs> at times pretty ornery myself, and and I could be pretty strong. And I defended some people, and I I used that to to run those tracks. Mm-hmm. Took care of that, and I I have her to thank. But I gotta say this: Cynthia has a drive for health. Like I've rarely seen in anyone. She does. She wanted to be well. She never wanted to be needy or I can't even use those words about her. She wanted to be a good mother. She wanted to care for her family. She wanted to be a great wife. She wanted to be a good pastor's wife. But when this stuff comes in on you and you don't know what to do with it, it is like walking through warm spaghetti that's up to your waist and you can't get moving. And and sometimes you get submerged in this and add to it a lot of refuse and filth and bad stuff. And you just go, it's so dark. Your word is dark and it's you're right. It I like the el- illustration you gave. It, it started closing in because yeah. as... We've learned now depression can be a genetic connection. Yep. And also with the medication, Jonathan, my son, Ashley, my daughter, and myself as well have a genetic mutation that causes us to not process antidepressants well. Therefore, it we end up becoming more toxic yep. than healthy. Yep. And we didn't know that. You didn't know that no. then. No. So all you had to go on was was what you were told by doctors. Yeah, and that's a very important point, and I want to make this real clear. I've got no beef with doctors, but I do want to say you better be right when you talk to that patient. And if you don't know, you ought to say, you know, I don't know. Or this is complicated. I need to be careful. We need to be careful. Let's do this together. Rather than give her this, uh, double this medication, or here, here's another one that's just come out, give her that. And we also know, and this is something that's so important to know, is sleep studies are important. Genetic studies are important. Different kinds of metabolism. There are so many factors that can lend itself towards lacking the chemicals we need to function. Because as I've struggled with depression, and as Ashley has struggled with depression, in fact, what you don't know or may not know is my daughter was self-harming and suicidal um, 13 years ago. Cut herself. She was cutting. And that's a common thing now with teens is to cut because there's a... Something happens where there's a release of pain for some time when they cut. And when I found her suicide note, and when I saw that she had been cutting, I realized I need to do work on me. Parents, watch how you're parenting because the, the family's a system. Yeah. 
and it's made to work together. And, and from what you had gone through with that former marriage? Which, no, like you, nobody knew. We anything. didn't know for the longest time. I, I still remember you guys were in seminary and you called me and you talked to me like this on the phone, remember? Yeah. I don't want him to hear me. It's terrifying. But he was molested. And I'm like, whoa. And I realize you are in for a journey. And it got worse and worse. Let me tell you how we felt. We felt helpless. Yeah. For me to step in means I've got to tell your secret. And then when he finds out you've told me, I feared for you. So I couldn't reveal that. And on top of that, you're having babies, <laughs> darling children, precious children that I know are not being parented right. And like, what do we do? Well, I got tired of the secret thing. I thought, I don't care who is offended by this because, because it's my family. Um, right. I don't want to offend. That's not a desire. But I will not hold something back that needs to be discussed in the church. And there were those that blamed you. A whole church full. You're the problem. Absolutely. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? It happens Let me tell you what, what I'm dealing with. What's wrong with you? What kind of an answer is that? Do you think I want this to be true? You, you think I, I really am setting this up? That so, I want my daughter to want yeah, to kill herself yeah. and that my son is disabled it, and that the it, other son is struggling? Yeah. Just, oh, this was my ideal family. I know. <laughs> we don't want that. I know. So let's help with what do you wish yeah. Yeah. you could have been given from friends that you trusted? Oh, I wish uh, they would have told me, be careful about all the drugs. Second, you know, there may be something going on that she's struggling with that nobody's tapped, not even these hotshot psychologists. Mm. And I'm not against them. I, I, I say that and it sounds like I'm against all of them. That's a stupid response. It's just naturally I have feelings because we went to them for years and they didn't help us at all. Right. They made it worse. Right. Well, I resent that. And they, they work wonderfully for other people. Yep, I guess so. If you don't mind living under the constant drag of drugs. Now, some, some medication, I understand that, of course. But it, maybe if someone would have said, and a good friend of mine did, uh, could I help you financially? Okay. And he took our payment book for our home, and he made our payments for a year. He's gone now, too. But Lawson Ridgeway was a good friend of mine, and Lawson said, just give me your payment book. You guys are at the end. He was a very good friend, and I told him a little, and he said, you don't have any money to make these $130 a month house payments. And I said, uh, I can't do it. He said, give it to me. He had built a home. He was in the home building business. So for a year, he made our house payments. You know, the point is not necessarily make a payment. It's just have a heart. Rather than looking at me like, what's, what's wrong with you guys? Mm -hmm. How come she doesn't snap out of it? That's a nice one. <laughs> How come she doesn't snap out of it? I want to take a bat to a few things I've heard. Yep. Aren't you trying to get attention for that? 
Yeah, I and, really and want that, attention never, by staying in bed yeah. with no one around. How yeah. is that getting attention? Yeah, <laughs> never. He never had, never did that. Or pray yourself out of it. Yeah, is another one. But what we do want to communicate is help with the daily things. Just show up. Right, right. That would have helped. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to come over. Not ask, can I? I'm going to come over and take Kurt for an afternoon. I got a great place where we go to a park and. He'll be fine, and boy, Kurt would have gone a minute. I've been relieved of Kurt, and then someone have said could could have said, "Let me let me just take care of Carissa through the day. Uh, she's an adorable baby. Uh, it's, it'll be easy for us to do that." And they take care of her, and then I can I can spend time with the one I I love and want to help uh, in some way. But the aloneness, not just lonely, the aloneness is maddening. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, if you're in ministry and you go through this, oh man. One in four women in a year will go through some kind of depressing episode. Mm -hmm. What as a pastor would you say to pastors? Oh, uh, I would encourage them to have a relationship with a few close friends, because that needs to be shared. There's an old Swedish expression, shared joy is twice the joy. Shared sorrow is half the sorrow. Mm -hmm. So if you go through it, you share it, you cut it in half. And you have someone there to call you in the morning and say, how you doing? Mm -hmm. Or I'm here for you. Or I care. Mm -hmm. Or I'm coming over this morning. Or we're going to bring you a meal tonight. Or we got the kids to sleep over. We got the kids with us, and we we'll have kind of a slumber party. And can we take Kurt to the? Yeah, that'd be great. He'd love it. And they lighten your load. So I'd say be sure you've got friends. Secondly, if you've got a relationship with your elders, which is going to be very big stretch because most guys don't, share it with them, so they know you really do need a break this summer. You, you really do. You're, you're not lazy, but you, you could sure use a month off. Because during that month, you may want to do some research into this. You and your dear wife may, may want to actually have a vacation. How nice would that be? And maybe one of them could say, we'll take care of the kids while you two go. Or isn't this your anniversary? Hey, we want to give you the night out. We're picking up the tab. You guys go and get a nice steak at the Silver Fox, and we'll, we'll, we'll take care of that for that kind of thing. Mm. I would also say to the pastor, have a heart. And usually you do when you've gone through it, because I'll tell you what I've gained from it is, is a heart. You won't hear condemning words from me. If someone's struggling, I'm usually pretty quiet. Then when I can get with them after they've shared it one-on-one, -on -one, I'll tell them how much I care. I wouldn't have done that before we went through what we went through. Like 2 Corinthians 1 says, you go through it that you might be able to... Comfort others. Yeah. With the comfort you have received. But you have to be open to receiving yeah. that yeah. in order to give it. Yeah. Now, um, it's so funny because people think that the Bible isn't relevant today. 
which I always laugh at because I think the stories are in there would make fabulous movies. I think the Ten Commandments did rather well. I've never come to any passage that isn't relevant. <laughs> but I don't make it relevant. It is relevant. So Moses, <laughs> in, in the document that we have at Insight for Living, if you look up Counseling Insights, there's an entire seven-page document on depression that talks about various kinds, various things that you can do to help treat it, right. various contributors right. to it, what to look for. Go online to get that document. But you mentioned people in scripture, David. I love the Psalms, but boy, David, I think may have been a little bipolar. I'm not going to say for sure. You but know, well, he at was, least he was, he was melancholy. Yeah, he was and honest. He was a great artist, great musicians. I'm just reading about one, Tchaikovsky, who didn't write until midlife, and what he wrote, he wrote the piece called, he called it just Opus 6. It's called today, None But the Lonely Heart Can Know This Anguish. It's a great melody from Opus 6. It came out of the brokenness of his own life. Mahler's yeah, uh, wonderful Ninth Symphony mm -hmm. was written from a womb of woe in his own life. And wasn't Spurgeon the one who would spend all of Monday? Yeah. Just depressed. Well, Spurgeon writes of it openly in his letters to my students. Yeah, he just talks openly about it and tells you when it will happen or when it can often happen. So uh, that's in the Victorian era in ye old England where that kind of thing is not shared. And here's this famous respected pastor saying, there are days that he just slumps beyond description. Hmm. You know what? That's why he was a good expositor. He had heart. Oh, my. People listen to folks that are that real. And when you get to a passage like it, you go, oh, man, I've been there. I know, David, how you feel. You know, he comes back from this battle and they've wiped out the village and they've taken their wives and children and all the men around him been on the battle with him. They, they mutiny and they blame him. And he didn't burn them down. He didn't run them off. He just said, what did I do? And it said he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Whatever that means. It means he got alone and he said, Lord, you know, I can't take much more of this. I'm exhausted too. I've been in the battle. So quiet these men down. Give us your guidance, but give me the strength to face tomorrow's sunrise. And, and you know what? When I read that, I go, let me preach on that. Mm. Let me at that passage. I didn't deal with that one. You know why? I've been there. I think um, I've been there. In studying caregivers, um, as I help people reframe their lives, the high, high propensity for caregiver burnout is what they call it. Because we miss our sleep, we don't take our vitamins, rarely go and get checked for our health and don't really take care of ourselves. In fact, self-care, self-compassion yeah. is a is a very strong word that we're seeing show up for right. caregivers. Yeah, you tend to kind of let yourself go. Yeah, you don't have time. Right. And you're Plus you don't care about that. You care about the one you're caring for. Right. You know, how you look, is that important? Or that you're eating too much or you're not eating enough or you're not eating right? Or you slept two hours last night because you were up all night with the one you love and care for? And, or you're worried sick that something really bad could happen? 
and you don't know no no one else knows the medications right. and so right. and in working through that there's also episodes of times throughout the year i will slump i had one not long ago and coming up to jonathan's 23rd birthday he was recently invited to his first birthday party good night in 23 years now i understand both sides but that that i've got to grieve that yeah and unresolved grief is heavy in the heart mm-hmm. and it makes yeah. us um closed down yeah so as we move into you know today you would say we need to have a good support group yep that is safe yep and to know there are resources out there yeah that's wonderful Kay Warren has a great ministry. Joe Padilla has a great ministry. Matt Stanford has a great ministry. Those are great people. Those are amazing people yeah. that have written very well right. on, on understanding the mind and yeah. the brain and how it functions. The Warrens lost their son. Yes. Yeah, and they were criticized for that. Can you imagine? You know what I respect, though? Because I, when I interviewed her, and you can get the interview on the Reframing Ministries website. Oh, good. When I interviewed Kay, that Christmas, she told people, because she'd had enough of it. She said, if you're going to send me a card about happy, how happy your family is and all these accolades with all your kids, you know, kind of bragging rights, please don't send us the card. Yeah. I, I can't do that. You know, I, I think something needs to be said about appropriateness. Nobody ever uses that word these days. Doing what's appropriate uh, takes some restraint. Think about it. Someone who weeps a lot at a funeral uh, will get a get-over-it look. Dreadful response. I won't ever be over it. No, it, it's, not, it's not that we don't grieve. Paul said, don't grieve as those who have no hope. There's a difference. Right. It isn't a hopeless grief. Like, oh, it's gone forever. You don't grieve like that. You grieve because you've lost something very valuable, someone very valuable. And for some people in their makeup, it takes weeks. Mm-hmm. Weeks. For you, it may take overnight. It may take two nights or three days, but that's you. What's appropriate is respecting the other person and giving them room Mm -hmm. to be. Being a companion. Yeah, and when you've gone through all of this, Colleen, uh, your capacity is, and I'm grateful, is is enlarged. Mm -hmm. And you really do care less about what people Say and think. He's very you, free. You notice that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it helps you when you're a little older and you're pastoring a church and these people may criticize or whatever. You just pass it off. I used to worry about it. But when you go through the valley, Are that you is so kidding? dark. You know, if I often think now, if you knew the whole story, you could say a lot worse things about me. So I say to myself, it's okay. They just don't know. Mm-hmm. It's all right. Just so, let's go on. As we as we wrap this up, I know right now the 
the rate of Alzheimer's is growing in dementia. Mm -hmm. And caregivers caring for those with dementia. Wow. Um, I mean, it is a huge population. Their daily life is changing an adult diaper, wiping up pee on the ground, turning someone over to give them medication, make sure they don't have bed sores. They're isolated and and losing hope. So it's it's awful. So speak to not just that person, but to those who have that veil and can't see the sunshine. Well, the good news is that we have a God who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He really is, and I'm moved by that. Isn't that great? The one who knows us the best, loves us the most, and is the most patient with us. And uh, the good news for everyone is that uh, this is now, this is not forever. If I just realized that, because I thought every day was forever, now looking back, I realize uh, it seemed like forever. Mm -hmm. It was a long time, but it wasn't forever. And what you gain from it is is so marvelous. You can't get it from a book. You can't take a course on it. Uh, No one else can lecture it into you. Uh, You don't get it from sky riding or nighttime visions. You get it through the cracks and brokenness of those years when you felt hopeless. And finally, God breaks through. (laughs) And when he does, it's as good as you can imagine. And that's where we are today. I'll never forget one of the stories that you told me when I was in a downtime was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being bound and tied. Four times it's mentioned in the passage. And the only thing... (laughs) That was burning the fire was the vines. Yeah. When they finally pulled those guys out of the fire, they were untouched by the flame. The only thing that had burned up was what has bound them. When you go through the fire, I will be with you. The flame will not hurt you. I only designed your dross to consume and your gold to refine. Let's pray for people right now as we close. Father, we pray for you, for for, for those who love you and walk with you, and and even for those who don't know you. We pray for those who are broken at the end of their rope, don't know where to turn. They feel that darkness closing in and that uh, tightening of the radius of the discouragement and the depression. We pray that you would somehow Use something of what was said to help break through uh, their thinking so that they hear what they haven't heard before and they begin to feel what they've not felt before, and that is hope. Provide that. Pray 
We ask that the, the resources we have at Insight for Living may truly be an avenue toward relief and recovery. We so long for that, for our friends who have been a part of this journey with us. We commit each one to you now, in the name of Christ. Amen. You can find the show notes and resources in the podcast description or on our website. If this episode encouraged you, I would love to hear your story about how it helped you as you rate and review the podcast. You can connect with me personally at Reframing Ministries at Insight.org. And you can connect with Reframing on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and other platforms. Visit ReframingMinistries.com if you'd like to explore more of our resources and to subscribe for our weekly and monthly content. Thank you again for joining us today at Reframing Ministries. Our desire is to provide biblical help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through unique and challenging segments in life. And in order to provide for more people, we'd love your support through prayer, sharing this content with friends, and partnered support. Reframing Ministries and Insight for Living Ministries operate entirely and only on your generous gifts and donations. You can partner with us and donate to Reframing Ministries through our website, The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.